I think more readers have discovered my work through libraries than all bookstores combined. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt, one word at a time. Taylor, I know this is going to embarrass you, but we're not going to do chit-chat today at the beginning of the episode. It's probably going to really... I'm not embarrassed by not doing chit-chat. Well, we're going to replace (laughs) it with praise for Taylor. So that'll be the embarrassing part. But yes. we'll, we'll be back with our normal chit-chat and probably talk about summer and kids going back to school and things like that next week. But this week, something really cool happened um, with uh, a review for Carol Newsom's books. Carol writes under the name C.A. Newsom. Her book is titled Furboy, Fur Boys. And she got a Kirkus review of the book, and it, she posted it inside the Taylor Stevens fan club group, which is how we know about it. And the review says... As usual, Newsom writes in a clever, energetic prose that buoys the reader while slowly dispensing clues. Here, Hannah describes Dr. Lawrence in a way that manages to characterize them both. He's a malicious and whimsical little god, making and destroying careers at will. The characters are well-drawn, the dialogue is sharp and funny, and the pacing is precise. This is where it gets into the praise category, and Carol separated this out. The opening sequence... Newsom has to juggle a dozen different characters milling around a crime scene is nothing short of masterful. And if you're a longtime listener to the show, you might remember episodes 87 and 88, where Carol sent in the material for that section, and Taylor worked on it, and we, we worked on it on the show, and there were actually there was video and, and everything on these two episodes, and then Carol took Taylor's notes and suggestions and turned it into something that Kirkus is calling nothing short of masterful. So congratulations to Carol, but, you know, it's sort of a pat on the back for you too, Taylor. It is a pat on the back, and I'm all like, I got goosebumps when she shared it with us in the Facebook group. I was so happy for her, but um, I think where it affected me the most is that, you know, we do these shows week after week. And I know there are a lot of listeners out there who appreciate them because they write and they say so. But there are probably 10 times as many who just listen on a regular basis. And when we're here doing this week after week, we're having fun. But I never know the impact of what happens after that. And sometimes I don't know, like we talked about on a recent show, you know, is this, you know, useful? And so to get that back, that's like a big neon sign saying, yes, yes, this information is valuable and it can be useful. And so it's just like, oh, it just made me feel so good. And I remember when I when I bought Carol's book, as soon as it came out. I told you that I'd read it, and you said, how was that scene in the beginning? And you said, was it, was it different? And I said, oh, yeah, it was really good. I said, I don't remember the original scene. It's just I remember that it didn't flow as well as it could, and it, it flowed really well now. And you were pleased, but it's like, you know, that was the end of it. But it wasn't the end of it because Carol was kind enough to share this review. So, Carol, thank you very much for for doing that. It it meant a lot to both of us. And probably, hopefully, it means a lot to, to you guys out there listening as well. And if you have stories like this, we'd love to hear them. 
And we had another comment that came in from Peter Dudley. This came in on the website uh, based on last week's episode, which was the end of our series on beginnings, middles, and end. That was the episode on endings. And Peter wrote in to say, I'm writing the first and second books in my series. I'm at 75,000 words in the first and know the ending. The second book, which is at 25,000 words, begins just before the first one ends. Listening to your podcast, I could see the ending of the first wasn't strong enough, so I thank you. I think I can still use the ending I had, I have if I add more problems around it. I'll thank you again and hope thousands of my future readers will uh, thank you as well. And we'll, we'll up that to tens or hundreds of thousands of Peter's um, future readers. We hope they all appreciate that. But again, someone taking the information that you're sharing in the show and applying it, which is kind of why we do this every week, other than to have fun, like you said. I, I know you can't see this because obviously this is audio, but I just have a massive smile on my face right now. So this is just really, really awesome. Speaking of being able to see things, I, and I, I am not going to turn this into a Patreon thing, but there was something that you talked about in a version of the next Monroe book in the epilogue section. I don't, I forget what you call it, but anyway, postscript, you, the postscript. Yes. 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 You, you talk about uh, the choices that you've made and, and what happened over the course of the last couple of years. And I kind of want to dig into that a little bit because I have some questions on why you chose the path you've chosen. And that's going to be the th this week's show is, is I'm going to be asking you uh, some questions on that. Some of this material is covered in the postscript. Uh, some of it won't be. This is just going to be me asking questions and putting you on the hot seat, so to speak. Oh, fun. <laughs> Okay, so do you want to just like start out with like a 30-second summation of the postscript? Like there's a lot of crappy stuff that happened and then you got a, a contract and now everything is good? Yeah, I guess you could put it that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, what, what the file was originally was um, me providing the opening chapters of the next Monroe story. And the postscript was explaining why that book hadn't been published yet, because there's been a long gap since The Mask. And as everybody knows now, we have a contract for a new series. And I do get that question about, well, what about Monroe? And um, so I am, I do still want to write those stories, but the postscript was explaining what happened. This is why Monroe didn't get published. And this is why I don't know when this book is going to be published. And it basically is a, a, an overview of what happened over the last couple of years. So in there, I also, and I think this is where you're getting at, talk about um, at, at the time that I originally wrote that postscript, we did not have a contract on this next book. And I didn't know for sure if we were going to get one or not, which I know for people who've read my work, they're like, what? That's crazy. How could you you know, your books are so good and they're so, you know, immersive. How could you even doubt that you were going to get a contract? Well, if you'd read the postscript, you'd understand where that doubt was coming from. And so um, at that point in the postscript, I was kind of explaining why I continued to pursue a publishing contract rather than take other potential options. That's that's what you're asking about now, isn't it? Yes. 
And okay. you and I have had, over the course of the last couple of years, we've had multiple conversations about the option of self-publishing. Because yes. I, I self-publish, I find it easy, and I know a lot of people that are doing very well by self-publishing their work. And over the course of those few years, couple of years, I sort of, I'm trying to, th I'm probably like a yappy dog, um, barking and nipping at your ankles saying, hey, why don't you self-publish? Why don't you self-publish? Why don't you self-publish? You know, put, pull yourself out of this torture chamber that you're in and just self-publish the book because there are tens of thousands of people just like me that want to read the next Monroe book. And you never said, no, I'm not going to do that. And eventually I came to understand why it was important for you to continue on, on the traditional publishing route. But I, I think it would be interesting to just kind of talk about it specifically. Um, why, why not? Why did you, as you were going through this two-year process of you know, I was nipping at your ankles. It seemed like other people were firing water hoses at you, trying to knock you down. And, you know, you, you, you had this desire, this goal to continue to be traditionally published. Why? Well, first of all, I know that a lot of my listeners are self-published or intend to self-publish. So, I want to make sure nobody gets their fe feathers ruffled because I'm not going to say anything bad about self-publishing. Let's just get that straight out of the way. Like, I don't have any um, bad feelings like, oh, you self-published, you're less than. <laughs> um, I, I don't come at it from that angle. There have been some really, really amazing self-published works. And the way that I look at traditional publishing and self-publishing is that both, um, both, avenues are legitimate both have and both avenues have the outliers people who do extremely well and are successful and then a, a huge number who are maybe uh, making a living at it and an even larger number who go nowhere with it it happens in both industries um, I don't come from it thinking that um, traditionally published work is better than self-published work. So let's just get that all out of the way. For me, for any anytime somebody decides to publish a book, there are opportunity costs doing it both ways. And because I started out being traditionally published, I have had opportunities that I would have to sacrifice if I went the um, the self-publishing route. And I wanted to exhaust all my options before I abandoned traditional publishing completely and went off on my own. And the biggest driver, or there are two really big drivers for me. One is that because I started off traditionally published, a lot of my readers, a, a huge number of my readers, only read print. They don't read ebooks, and the um, uh, many of those are, are library readers. And by going the ebook route, 
I knew I would be abandoning most of those readers. And, you know, there are arguments saying, oh, well, you can print, you can still do print on demand. You can get those in libraries too. And all of that is valid, but I'm just one person and I am juggling like a mad woman. And I know me and I know that if it came down to it, I don't have the mental bandwidth necessary. And so I would not pursue that because it's just one more thing I have to deal with. And I would focus solely on ebooks because they're fast and they're easy. And well, I should say easier than all the extra work that goes into trying to now market the books, get them back into libraries, get them in the distribution stream and everything like that. Um, I don't have someone I work with. Um, a lot of uh, authors who are capable of doing that, they have a spouse who handles all their business stuff for them while they're able to do the writing. I don't have that. I have to do everything. And I don't have the money to hire somebody to do it for me. So it kind of creates a little bit of a catch-22. And then the other main factor that um, was pushing me in a specific direction was actual money. And that's because people the, the idea, um, at least at the be when self-publishing first really started hitting and becoming um, a thing, a respected thing, was if you self-publish, you get to keep more of the proceeds for yourself. And you, don't, you can cut out the middlemen. And that's all very, very true. However, in order to do that, you need to sell enough copies still to pay your bills. Like, uh, uh, many authors um, have a spouse or somebody who um, pays the bills and kind of subsidizes their writing career or their expenses are minimal. They don't have two kids, but they're the provider putting the roof over their head, um, going it solo. And um, they're just there's a lot of factors outside the actual publishing part itself that that weigh in on the decision. And those who are doing the best, the most successful in self-publishing, they are the ones who can write multiple books a year, and they keep that, um, they keep that uh, stream coming and building, and they build this really big body of work. And I, I just, I can't do that. I'm, I can't write to the quality that I write at that speed, and I know that making the books is that the other side argument is if you just make the books cheaper, more people will buy them. And that's not true. Really. Um, people will buy them if they see them and they know that they exist, but every author, whether they're self-published or traditionally published is fighting for the attention of readers. And for those who are willing to buy the book and read it for entertainment at whatever the, the price point that and then they and then they're done. That that's it. They're there unless you have a way to get that book in front of enough readers, then you it doesn't matter if you're getting a larger portion of the lion's share, it's still not enough. And I'm looking at my own output and my own work style, I don't feel confident in my ability to make a living solely through self publishing. Okay, you said a lot there, and there are some things that I, I'll ask more questions about. I, I I do want to just 
reemphasize what you said. In the entire time that we've had these discussions, I've never heard Taylor say anything negative about self-published books, self-published authors, indie authors, indie publishers, any of that. It's always just been, this isn't right for me. And it, it took me, personally, a long time to understand why it wasn't right for you. But over time, I, I began to see why. But let me ask you a question, because you mentioned the need to, or I, I get a sense that by being, that you feel like being traditionally published means you get help in some of these other areas. And I know that you have been in this long enough that you've seen the change in the amount of help that you get from a traditional publisher from book one to book five. And it wasn't going up. It, it was going down. And, yes. and so does that come into play at all? When, when you're making this decision, you know you still have to do more than you used to. And yes. you probably still have to be your own PR agent. There, there, there will be, um, no doubt, someone assigned to your account for a brief period of time to help get, create some buzz for the book. But after that, you're on your own. Yes, and, and that does. Um, I don't think many people realize how big the library market is. The well, first of all, I've, I've since switched publishers, and they, the one, the people that I'm with now, I'm very excited to be with them because they're excited to be with me. You know, the story of what happened with my previous publisher is very long, which is why it ended up as a novella. You know, there's a lot, there was a lot of uh, churning. I wasn't, it wasn't consistent, and I didn't always have the same team to work with. And um, you know, there's a chance that that could happen again. But even if all this publisher did now was focus on the library market, um, didn't really care about bookstores, and it was the library market plus my own reader base, then that is enough to get us back and get things rolling again. Yeah, it, it, so much of it boils down to the library market. If, if I didn't have the volume, uh, it's like cutting off half your, half your readership. If I didn't have the volume that I had in libraries, then making a switch to self-publishing would be much easier. But that that's what I just kept coming back to was I, I don't want to I don't want to abandon the libraries. I don't want to abandon all those readers who I I think more readers have discovered my work through libraries than all bookstores combined. And it just, I guess I'm loyal to them, maybe to my own detriment, but it's just a hard, it's a hard thing to give up, to go, all, all these librarians, all these readers who discover me through the library, they love what I do, they, they want more of it, and now I'm just going to walk away from them because it's too hard. Okay. Um, a, another thing that you mentioned is output. And for listeners of this show who have been listening from the beginning, and thank you so much for those of you who let us know you listened to all of the first hundred episodes and that you're still listening. We are going to actually do some sort of like a Hall of Fame listener One kind day. of thing and put it up <laughs> on the website. It's on the list of things to do. Um, but 
people have heard you talk about the YA novel, the next Monroe novel, um, the I don't know the I, I, I'm going to use the term women's fiction, but it's the wrong term for the other book that you that you've been working on. And then, of course, there is uh, the, the book that you have the new contract for. And so that's a lot of material in a couple of years. It's not a lot of material for a self-published author, but it's a lot of material. And I, he, you and I have talked and you say, I can't write more than a book a year. And I would say, but you just did. I mean, you wrote this book and you wrote this book and you're halfway through with this book. Um, how, do, how do you respond to that? Well, starting a book is not the same as finishing a book. And getting the words on the page is not the same as tying it all together and making it explode and going bam. And there's also the issue of genre. Monroe and these, this next series that I'm going into, they fall into the similar genre. So the readership is consistent. And it's one thing for my fans and readers and listeners to go, well, I'll read whatever you write. But that's such a small portion of the overall um, reading market of people who've bought my books in the past. And it can be a real career killer if you don't deliver a consistent experience. So I have these unfinished books, and it sounds like a lot, but it's stretched out over like two and a half years, maybe almost even three years by now, because some of them I started a while ago, and I could put you know, get them out. And it, my my current readership base, those who actually follow my newsletter, those who um, listen to this podcast and the Patreon team and everything, they'll read them. But those numbers are way too small in the grand scheme of things to actually make um, a living from it. And if someone were to pick up one of those books, they wouldn't then find a consistent experience in coming to the series. So that can actually be detrimental to your career trajectory because that's when you get all the disgruntled people going, this book was awful, not at all what I expected. So-and-so needs to step up their game because they picked up something that was completely off genre. And that's why a lot of authors will use pseudonyms for different types. But to the to the issue of volume, it's it sounds like a lot just because I've been talking about it for so <laughs> freaking long, but it's really not a lot. And like I was just looking at my calendar, going, "Well, holy crap! I'm already in August, and I signed off on this previous book. I think it was in March or April. I mean, I finished it in the end of the year last year, but I've been." reworking it and doing things on it. And I'm in August and I haven't even started writing anything else. So how's that for progress? By now, um, <laughs> there'd be, I mean, and I've worked on other projects, but nothing is finished. And by now, a self-published author would have already finished two or three books. You know, mm -hmm. it's just, it, 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 maybe it's because I'm a single mom. Maybe it's because, um, I, I don't know, but I, I don't write to that speed. I just don't have it in me. And that's another thing that where I was 
maybe biting the hardest on your ankles when I was uh, scurrying around your ankles and nipping at you. That's where I would bite the hardest is like, you can write faster. You can do this stuff. You can, you can, you can. Um, but I, I came to realize, not that you couldn't, but that you chose not to because you held yourself to a certain standard and it was impossible for you or really for anybody to write to that standard at that speed. Not only that, but I I realized that my brain won't let me not write to that. It's like it's an OCD thing. Mm-hmm. Um, as I described it to somebody recently, open the door, close the door, open the door, close the door, because my brain is going, these words aren't right, these words aren't right, and it, it won't let them go until it feels it's good. It's it, it finally heard the click that it wanted to hear, and it can go, okay, now let's go write some more words. Um, but I think, Steve, that maybe also you've come to appreciate it from a different point of view as well, because at the time we first started having those conversations, you weren't as busy as you are now. And then you had these plans to write some books and you had this schedule for you and then you got busy and your writing schedule just went to crap because you don't have the time to invest that you once did. And, and now you are juggling almost to the same level as I've juggled, or maybe even harder at some, like we trade off now. And, and so I think you can understand it from that perspective as well, is that when you have so many different hats to wear, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to sit down and write 3,000 words today. It's, there's always something fighting for your time. And, and I think you can get that now in a way that you couldn't when we first started, started well, having Well, I can. I, and I, yes, I, I completely agree. And, you know, sadly, my writing has, has slowed down dramatically, not because I'm approaching <laughs> the, the quality of yours, but just because I don't have enough time. I wish I could say that my craft is getting so good, I have to take more time to, uh, to make it perfect, but that's, that's not oh, the that case. Oh, that makes me sound like a snob. <laughs> However, and you're not. However, um, there are people out there that do it. There are people out there raising kids and and doing this stuff and I've interviewed some of them on the author biz I have no idea how they do it because my brain doesn't work that way I'm not able to just say I've got 30 minutes free let me get in the zone and write for 30 minutes I can't do it and um maybe if I was younger I could but yeah I I, I completely so. understand that because <laughs> I'm younger and, I mean not young I'm younger and uh, yeah it's not working for me either and you know, I just I I used to I spent a long time um, almost despondent, just depressed and beating myself up every single day. Why aren't you doing better? Why can't you write faster? You should be able to do this. And finally, I realized I'm beating a dead horse. Why don't I just do what I'm actually good at and appreciate that for what it is and just accept it instead of trying to chase the same um, production level or amazingness that other people are capable of, it's not my gift. And I'm going to hate myself and I'm going to drive myself into drugs and alcohol if I don't just accept my gifts for what they are and stop trying to be something else. Now, one of the things that I love about self-publishing as opposed to traditional publishing is is the idea that there are a lot of different paths uh, to success. One of the most obvious paths now is the write really fast and just keep publishing. 
And if the stories are good, you'll find an audience and, and you'll wind up making some money. But there are a lot of people who can't do that. There are only, there are only a few people who, who actually can write that quickly and write something that's readable and that's coherent and makes sense and that readers will continue to buy the next book. But I see other people who are writing. And when I say write quickly, I'm talking the book a month people who are writing 12 to 20 books a year. And then there are other people who are doing maybe uh, four books a year. And that, I know to you, just seems like a Herculean effort to me at the start of the year. That was my goal for the year. And it just seemed like it would be so easy. It's like falling off a log to get that done. I am (laughs) so far behind that pace. It is embarrassing. And I'm mortified at myself at how little progress I've made towards that goal. And then, you know, there are other people who just sort of take a more traditional path. This is how long it takes me to write a book, and then I'm going to get it edited, and I'm going to have beta readers, and I'm going to do this, you know, I'm, I'm going to have a cover done, and I'm going to publish it, and whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to hold myself to a book a month or four books a year kind of a schedule, and that can work for them too. They can find an audience, and, and they can earn a living as a writer doing that as well. And maybe, like, you're going to be, I'm guessing at this, but I'm going to guess you're going to be locked into a book a year. And if you could do a book every 10 months, that's probably not an option. Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, different, different publishers have different standards and things that they expect. It's, it's getting to the point now, I think, where if a publisher really likes you, they're willing to let you go hybrid, which is where you deliver to them what they want. And as long as you're not doing anything to damage the brand or compete and cannibalize sales, then they're willing to let you do your thing and, and publish on the side. Um, there, there was a time, I think I maybe caught the very, very, very tail end of it when I first entered publishing, where publishers still took sort of a little bit of a longer view of let's nurture this author and get them on their feet. And, you know, we're willing to invest in low sales until we build them, build them up. Um, and it's not like that anymore. At a recent um, event, Lee Child, who's like the biggest name in thrillerdom, you know, he created Jack Reacher. He said that he couldn't have been Lee Child if he'd entered publishing today. It's just a different world, traditional publishing. And what it really seems like is the publishers are looking for the big, explosive, um, out-of-the-gate blockbusters. And they're not really willing to take risks on anything that's a little bit different that they can't pigeonhole, which is why you get so many people complaining about the quality of stuff that's coming out. It's like it's more of the same. It's kind of like Hollywood movies these days. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, remake, remakes and remakes and remakes. You don't get a lot of original stuff. And um, and so it, it's like people get their shot at, you know, two or three books. And if they're not really, if they haven't exploded and become that breakout seller, then the publishers are less, less interested in um, investing anything in the book at all. And they're already on to, you know, whatever's new and shiny somewhere else. So it, it to me, neither one of those uh, publishing streams are really suitable for someone like me who writes 
as well as I can, but it's not quick. Um, the hybrid thing, if I if I could publish, you know, every other year, maybe get another book in there on the side or something, I still see that as a possibility. And right now, I only know that I have two books under contract. I might not be with this publisher for ever, you know, and that gives me time to catch up and get some books written while I'm under contract because this is a lot, it's, it's a long one. So while I'm under contract, I have time to actually try and get something else written as well. But still, I don't really see this, unless lightning strikes and all of a sudden I become one of those name brand stars in the sky that everybody just wants to publish my stuff because of the name recognition. And I know, again, to my listeners and readers, like, you're so huge. I'm like, I'm a drop in the bucket compared to the to the reading market. And yes, yes, I've, I've been very successful and I've done very well, but it's small compared to how big the big is. And so I, I see, again, neither of those paths being truly viable for someone like me, where you're, I, I'm not going to be able to earn a, a living self-publishing. And then it's tenuous earning a living um, traditional, traditionally published. So that's why, you know, again, you said you didn't want to turn this into a Patreon thing, and I'm not going to do it either. But that's why I chose the third option of patronage, because I realized that the only way for someone like me who truly wants to write just stories, good, entertaining, immersive stories, to survive in today's publishing climate, and I think the, the publishing climate is going to get more and more commodified, where books are like, you know, not even worth a cup of coffee. And the number of readers you have to have to add up all those, you know, granola bars to make a living on is is immense. The only way for someone like me who can't put out the volume but still wants to write stories to get off the publishing uh, hamster wheel is to go the third route, which is patronage, which is people who value what I do more than just a granola bar, more than just a cup of coffee. Like they actually value it for the art. And I don't want to get all snooty and high and mighty and go, oh, I'm an artist. And, you know, it's not like that. But there are those who feel that it is, they get that much value from the story that they're willing to wait for the next one and to support you along the way. And I think ultimately for someone like me, that's the only viable way to um, really stay in this industry for the long haul. And it, it's been so much fun for me to watch to watch the way your mind works. It's like before we started doing this show, it's like the first time I interviewed you, I got off the phone and, and or off of Skype or however we recorded that first one. And I'm like, wow, she's one of the smartest people I've ever talked to. I really did feel that way. And I still do feel that way. And it's been interesting to watch the way you, you came to the right decision for you with all of the pressure coming from all these different places. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's telling you what to do. And you came up with something that works perfectly for you, your writing style and your readers. So I, you know, kudos to you for doing that. And uh, thanks for taking these questions today. I hope it didn't come off as me pressuring you or questioning your decision-making at any point in the process, because that wasn't the intent 
Um, although I will say that I did question your decision making a little bit while we were, you know, over the course of the last couple of years. But but by the end of it, it's like, you know, she's just so smart. <laughs> no, no. I mean, honestly, the fact I don't want to be in my own echo chamber, you know, and you over the years, you have forced me to really think um, and analyze my options or the options that are out there. And without that, I maybe would not have even pursued the path that I've pursued because I wouldn't have been forced to think about it. I don't want to chase the latest fad. That that scares me because I that's like a surefire way to fail. And I I want to have I, this is this is my life. You know, this is all I know how to do. Do I don't have a plan B? And so when I look at strategy, I'm not looking at how can I get this next book sold. I'm looking at how is this going to get me through 10 years? How How is this going to allow me to survive the ups and downs and the changing, uh, the vagaries of the publishing industry? And I know it's only going to get worse in publishing. How can I get a, rif- a life raft here and build my own boat and not be dependent on this bureaucratic system or this fight and click for eyeballs and attention that every author goes through? And so... Yeah, here's me hammering nails and, you know, (laughs) hopefully I can outlast the blisters. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that is it for for this week's show. Next week, we have a listener question that we're going to dig into. It's it's a pretty complex question, but I'm I'm looking forward to digging into that with with Taylor. So thank you all for listening. We went a little bit over our normal time this week, but we hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back again next week. Thanks for sticking with us, guys.